was a dark and stormy night. Well, not really. It's actually only overcast here, and it's technically daytime. All the stories start that way. Hi, I'm Emily, and I'm here with my twin sister, Melissa, and we're a pensive pair. We like to research bizarre and unusual people, and we thought it would be fun to share our findings with you lovely people. So today, my sister is going to share with me, and you guys, the story of Henry Darger. Pretty much all I know is that he's an artist, so settle down with your tea or your wine, if you're over the age of 21, of course. And I'll hand it over to Melissa. Hi, guys. So, who was Henry Darger? Henry Darger was born in Chicago, Illinois, April 12th, 1892. His dad was Henry Darger Sr. and his mom was Rosa Fuller, but unfortunately his childhood was not that great. You see, at just four years old, Henry's mother died giving birth to his little sister, who was pretty quickly given up for adoption. This left Henry and his father in the same house together, but Henry's father wasn't the best provider. He was crippled and very poor. So, Henry's father moved to the St. Augustine Home for the Aged, and Henry was sent to the Mission of Our Lady of Mercy, a Catholic or orphanage. But while he was there, a lot of the kids, teachers, and nuns didn't like him very much because he was constantly making noises during class and causing disruptions. So, because of these disruptions, Henry was then sent to the Illinois Asylum for the Feeble-Minded Children. What I would love to go to that school. I'm just kidding. We definitely shouldn't call our schools for feeble-minded children. This was it was also called the Lincoln State School. But okay, that's, that's a lot better, yeah. Well, uh, you know. Okay, I guess the name was better. The school probably wasn't. <laughs> so at this new school, Henry was still greatly disliked because of these compulsions to make noises. And even though he would say they weren't his fault, he was still blamed for them anyway. We know now that what Henry had was probably Tourette's syndrome, but they didn't know that back then, and they still blamed him for these disruptions. So a lot of the kids at the Lincoln State School would say that Henry was very solitary. Of course, he was isolated because of the noises he made, and he just seemed to live in his own little world. Well, this little world would actually prove to be a much bigger world than originally thought. But a little more backstory. Henry's father died in 1905, and because the Lincoln State School was not that great, Henry had tried to escape multiple times. But he finally succeeded in 1908 at the age of 16 and took a job as a janitor at a Catholic hospital. I know, that's every 16-year-old's greatest ambition. And oddly enough, Henry would stay a janitor at various Catholic hospitals until he retired. So he did this for his entire life. At least he was dedicated. I mean, I'm 22 and I can barely find a job, so. That is true. And being so heavily involved with Catholic churches and Catholic hospitals and charities, Henry would has form a very strained and conflicting relationship with the nuns he worked with, the church he attended, and ultimately God. So Henry Darger died on April 13th. 1973, and if you're keeping track, yes, that is a day after his 81st birthday. And Henry died in the same institution his father had died in, so that's the St. Augustine Home for the Aged. Um, a lot of people thought Henry was just a strange and reclusive guy. He dressed in tattered clothing, and he would attend Mass up to five times a day. 
People who lived in the same building as Henry before he moved to St. Augustine would say he talked to himself a lot and that they would hear multiple voices coming through Henry's walls. But Henry was just talking to himself. He would respond in different voices, so it sounded like there was a room full of people and not just Henry. When Henry's landlord went to clean out his room the day after he died, Henry would soon be remembered for a lot more, though. What, did he kill somebody? Um, Not quite, but it's still pretty bizarre. So in Henry's room was a 15,145-page work complete with a story and picture called, and this is a long one, The Story of the Vivian Girls in what is known as the Realms of the Unreal of the Glandalico-Angelinian War Storm caused by the Child Slave Rebellion. It's usually shortened to the Realms of the Unreal or even just the Realms, and you can probably see why. Is this like available online or something? I've tried to look for it online, but it appears that just in in its in sorry in its entirety, it's too long. I think to like completely print. But there, he, his work is in a lot of art museums, and also people, some people have written about him, so you can see his work that way. So, what is the realms of the unreal? The realms of the unreal tells the story of the Christian nation of Abiania who must fight the evil Glandolinians and their general, John Manley. The Glandolinians keep child slaves, and the Abianians want to assist the child slaves with the child slave rebellion. But Robert Vivian, the ruler of Abiania, is quickly taken captive by the Glandolinians, leaving his seven young daughters, the titular Vivian girls, to fight in his stead. So now that we kind of have the premise of it down, we can get into the nitty-gritty of this truly bizarre story. So Henry's realms was influenced a lot by his own life, especially the premise of a child slave rebellion, because at the Lincoln State School, Henry and the other children there were often forced to do manual labor as part of their regiment, and also they would be punished by performing manual labor. So many of the Glandolinian military men, and the Glandolinians are the bad guys, Um, are based off Henry's real-life bullies from his time at the orphanage and the state school. And on the flip side, the people who showed kindness to Henry or who Henry had a liking for would appear as Abianians who wanted to help the child slaves. Darger himself even appears in this work as General Darger, who goes directly to help the Vivian girls. But he isn't always a hero, even in his own world. You see, Henry was an avid churchgoer, and as we said, he worked for Catholic institutions his whole life. But the nuns and the clergy weren't always really nice to him, and they weren't always on his side. He felt that God had been unfair to him in life. After Henry escaped from the Lincoln State School, he appealed to the church multiple times to try to adopt a child. All Henry wanted was to be a father, but he was denied every time. So Henry was unable to take out his frustrations on God and the church, so instead he took him out in his realms of the unreal, where he was God. General Darger would switch sides and become a Glandolinian general, putting the children he was trying to save through massive bloodshed and massacre. 
We did. So Henry's brief service during World War One only really served to make this fictional battle he was writing about all the more realistic. Um, the images he makes are really disturbing, and they really kind of cat like capture reality. Um, and despite this highly whimsical style, it's almost like a fairy tale. And filling the 15,000 odd pages are maps, long expense reports, rep- weapons descriptions, and portfolios for all the military men and political figures on both sides of the battle. So you can probably see why this is more than 15,000 pages. However, this level of description came as no surprise once people realized Henry had written, drawn, and lived in this world for over 60 years. And World War I wasn't the only grisly event that shaped Henry's extensive realms. Um, Henry was really, really obsessed with the real-life unsolved murder of a five-year-old girl named Elsie Parubek. And he, this was like a deep attachment to him. He even kept a newspaper clipping of Elsie and her case with him at all times. Um, early on, it was thought that Parubek was strangled to death, but the autopsy reports shows that she was instead suffocated. However, strangulation becomes a really big theme within the realms as we see a lot of Glandolinians strangle the child slaves. And Elsie Parubek also became part of Henry's realms herself as the child slave Annie Ehrenberg. Annie Ehrenberg is the face of the rebellion and it's her death, her assassination, that actually kickstarts a full-blown war between the Glandolinians and the Abianians. Um, A letter is delivered to General Darger from Annie Ehrenberg herself, telling him of her death and asking him to join the titular Vivian girls, Violet, Daisy, Catherine, Annie, Angeline, Joyce, and Jenny. Um, When Henry lost the picture of Elsie Parobeck, he prayed constantly for its return. He would keep vigils, he would plead with God, and he would make bargains, but Henry never saw this picture again. So let me try to straighten this out a little bit in my head. Annie Ehrenberg is the fictional girl based on the real-life girl, Elsie Parobeck, who was sadly murdered. Yes, that is correct. And in the story, Annie delivers a letter. She's already dead, so I guess someone else delivers a letter Annie wrote when she was alive, telling them to help the Vivian girls, who are the seven princesses, who are, like, leading the rebellion. Yeah, pretty much. If you remember, um, the Vivian girl's father was taken captive pretty much at the very beginning, so that kind of opens up the space for these Vivian girls to lead the rebellion. And I kind of see this as Henry Darger's self-insert fanfic, almost. So I think Annie Ehrenberg's letter is what kickstarts him being in this adventure and getting to be close to the Vivian girls. Okay, I think I got it. Let's continue. So the immense amount of detail in Henry's work wasn't the only thing that made people interested. You see, the child slaves Henry draws and writes about are almost exclusively young girls. 
So this kind of exposed Henry's fascination with them. He thought of them as almost a species entirely their own. In the realms, the girls are pure and angelic, but they're also very strong. They're able to fight against the grown Glandolinian military men. Um, I've seen some people even kind of compare these girls to Joan of Arc type figures. I mean, honestly, it's not a bad way to depict young girls. Like, good for Henry Arthur. Well, it gets a little odder from here. You see, more often than not, the girls are depicted with having male genitalia, which a lot of people have interpreted in really different ways. Um, some people think this is to kind of give them equal footing against the Glandolinian men. It shows that they're just as powerful. But my personal favorite comes from Henry's landlord, who said that personally she thinks that Henry just didn't know the difference between a little boy and a little girl. And as we said, Henry was pretty reclusive. It didn't appear that he had any girlfriends throughout his life, so maybe she's right. Henry's artwork quickly made him a forerunner in the outsider art community. And the outsider art community is just basically what it sounds like. It's these artists who kind of are on the cusp. They, they don't conform to a certain style. And his odd style of art would be called found art. So Henry would trace images found in newspapers and children's books, along with his favorites, um, some were the Copperstone Girl and Little Annie Rooney. And he would make landscapes of battle scenes. Some would be as long as 30 feet. And he would color over pictures he found, and he would morph images together and make massive collages. It's really interesting stuff, and he was one of the first people to do it. Um, but perhaps the strangest of all out of the realms is the doubling that exists within the text. And what I mean by that is that there's just so much stuff that is like one side and then the other. So here are some examples. The first is that the text with the children and the whimsical style, and there's also the inclusion of these species called the Blengens, who are half animal, half human, and help the children. They're kind of like fairies. It makes the whole thing look and feel almost like a fairy tale. But then we have these graphic descriptions of battles and torture. And part of the text feels like a commentary on the effects of war and child exploitation. So it's, they're just very two different and odd genres to have in this one work. Also, we see this doubling in the fictional General Darger, who switches sides throughout the work. And this kind of relates to Henry himself, I think, because Henry ultimately wants to save the children he writes about, but he's also the one who puts them through so much pain in the first place. And the thing that really shows this, just in all, is that Henry wrote two endings for the story. One ending is where the Abianians win, the child slaves win, and Christianity prevails throughout the nation. But there's also another ending where the Abianians lose and the Glandolinians' evil ways spread throughout the whole entire realm. And Henry never made any markings of which ending was the true ending. It appears that Henry just wrote them both and couldn't decide which was correct. So to wrap up, Henry's own works, or not own, Henry's other works, obviously these are his own works, include Crazy House, Further Adventures in Chicago, 
And an autobiography, which uh, we're going to say autobiography in loose terms, because this is an eight-volume work, 206 pages, which are dedicated to his actual life, and 4,672 pages about a fictional tornado called Sweetie Pie. Yep. Some have suggested that this was um, based off a real tornado he had briefly seen as a child. I just wonder how he's able to write so many pages of everything. Like, I can barely even sit down and read, like, one page. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And like I said before, I think a lot of the pages, too, were just filled with, like, numbers of how much this battle would cost. So it's just, it's really intense stuff that he, he wrote about. Um, the tornado, I don't have as much to say about. <laughs> I, I don't know how you'd write that much about a tornado. But out of all these, Henry is most known for the realms of the unreal. His work is in the Inuit, the Center for Intuitive and Outsider Art, as well as the American Folk Museum. Um, and the realms has inspired a fair, a fair amount of work, I'd say. In 1999, John Ashbery wrote a book-length poem called Girls on the Run, which is based on the Vivian Girls. There's a video game called Sissy Fight 2000, and a lot of novels and music groups have songs kind of alluding to the, the Vivian girls in the realms or directly about them. There's even a band that's called the, the Vivian girls. Um, but even more interesting besides the fictional work, which could just inspire so much, there's even stuff about his real life. The BBC radio play called Darger and Detective tells the story of Henry Darger's obsession with Elsie Parubek and the detective trying to solve her case. So I thought that was really interesting that even just this man's life in general um, inspires fiction. So now we're, I'm gonna open it up to my sister. I have a couple questions to ask her and we'll see what she says after hearing this odd story. So my first question is, do you think Henry should have been able to adopt a child? Um. Well, just learning about how he lived, I would probably not want him to adopt a child either if he had no money. Um, normally you need money to raise a child, but I do feel very bad that he wanted one. So sorry, Henry. Yeah, I kind of came to that same conclusion too, because like, Reading that, you're like, Henry should have had a kid. He was, you know, that's all he wanted. But, you know, underneath that, there is the practicality of it, which probably I'd have to say the church was right in denying him that, unfortunately. So I agree with you there. Um, this is a big, like, hot topic in Henry's life that people debate about. What do you think of Henry's fascination with young girls? Um, I think it's bizarre, but ultimately I think it's probably innocent, unless there hasn't been anything to prove that he sexually assaulted any of these girls in that case, it would be definitely not good. Um, but I think he probably, since he lost his mom at a young age and he lost his little sister, it was probably something that just really traumatized him and stayed with him. And he wrote about girls a lot in his books in order to compensate for that. Yeah, from what I've researched, a lot it does appear that a lot of people have come to the consensus that Henry was not interested in them in any sort of sexual way. It was just purely he was fascinated by them. 
And I think you're also right that the loss of his little sister really kind of inspired him to want to be around these girls who could make up for that loss. What do you think of Henry putting himself in the story? Um, I honestly think it's a genius move in that he's ahead of his time. I mean, I've read my fair share of fanfiction about multiple things, and oh, it's a common thing to want to put yourself in the story, and if you can, why not do it, you know? If it makes you happy, just, just write it. Um, so do you have, like, I said before that there's a lot of different interpretations of this. Do you agree with any specific interpretation? Do you think he had any specific agenda while he wrote this? Um, anything that's over 15,000 pages long, I'm gonna guess there wasn't an ultimate goal of at least having it published for him. I think he probably just really needed to escape to a different world, and this was his coping mechanism for dealing with a life that probably wasn't the best for him. Um, it's unfortunate, but hey, at least he was inspired to write something. There's definitely a lot worse things you could do when you want to turn to an alternative to a bad life, so mm. good for him. Uh, what I kind of thought was that really Henry just was a kid who wanted to be saved himself, and this was a way that he could do that, you know, metaphorically speaking. That was kind of what I thought, and yeah, along the lines of basically this being a self-insert fanfic where he could live out that reality. So I think that's about it. Do you have any concluding thoughts? Um, honestly, I kind of think Henry Garber's pretty cool. I think it's pretty sad that he had to live a life where he needed to escape constantly into stories. But hey, it was something that he ended up producing something in the end, so that's cool. Um, thanks you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed hearing about Henry Darger, our eccentric artist, as much as we enjoyed learning about him. Um, check out our sources below if you want to learn about Henry Darger and the influence of his work. Both of our main sources are free. It's Jessica Yu's 2004 documentary, and The Realms of the Unreal is free on YouTube, and the 2009 book Henry Darger is free on PDF. All right, guys, thanks. Bye. Bye.